You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 93 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Today, we have partnered with New Vocations to bring you an amazing panel discussion on the limited horse. We're joined by aftercare and thoroughbred training experts, Leander Cooper, who you're all very familiar with from New Vocations, Bonnie McRae from After the Races, and veterinary professionals, Dr. Sarah Escaro from Haggard and Dr. Morgan Adams from Unionville Equine Association. And we're going to highlight the limited horse and discuss what limited horses are exactly, what post-race careers are suitable for the limited horse, and why a limited horse may actually be the retired racer you're looking for. Not just that, we share our horsey holiday must-haves and how you can get back this holiday season. And last but not least, we share with you not one, but two adoptable horses. The temptation is coming. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Kristen, I have to ask, how much snow do you have? Because I see the reports, people living in New York by you, and it gives me seasonal curfew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we are. I forgot that that happened. That was last week. How did you uh, forget? Well, because we didn't get it that bad here. So, oh, well, that's <laughs> we, good. That's a we didn't get for like you. the seven feet or whatever that people up in Buffalo got. Um, we are a little bit south of Buffalo, like about an hour and a half. So, we do get Lake Effect snow. We get a lot of snow, but we did not get that much snow, which was great. So, we just got the appropriate amount of snow, which is, you know, enough to make it feel Christmassy and pretty. So, it was fine. What a positive spin. It is so proven that you are a northerner by heart. I, meanwhile, had like two inches of snow and I immediately became a Grinch. I'm just going to throw that out there. I was like, Zach, when are we moving down to Lexington? That's our first stop in the long-term plan to get closer and closer to Oak. To injure myself. Yes. I have a whole (laughs) evil plan that I'm skewing. Well, you can't let him know. Now he knows. Eh, it doesn't sound like he's against the plan. Oh, okay. Well, that works yeah. out then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we made out okay. Just, uh, I don't know what we ended up with total. Like, I, this is going to sound very flippant, but like, I don't know, like a foot and a half mm-hmm. um, or so, <laughs> which is very doable. It's nice to ride in. Um, Shorty blew out a big abscess and it's much easier to keep a horse on snow who's recuperating from an abscess than in the mud. So that I was very happy with positive. that. That's a true oh, yeah. positive. Yeah, it was great. It was fun. Very festive. Well, I love your your radiating positivity. I think more of us could use that as it gets dark by 4.30 if you're in the north and you just, you wonder all of your life choices on why why you live here as an adult. If you're an amateur, like a junior rider who's under 18, you can blame your parents for this, but everyone else, like we chose this. We chose this and no one knows why. No, it's okay, though. This episode comes out December 10th. So by the time everybody's listening to this, you're just two weeks away from the winter solstice. And after that, the days start getting longer. So Isn't that the real holiday of the year? Like, in all honesty, winter solstice yeah, starts getting lighter. 
Absolutely. That's why we have Christmas, right? Is to be like, (laughs) ha ha, candles everywhere, bright lights, you know, we're on the up and up. We're on the upswing. Absolutely. I love that. So with winter, Kristen, does it affect your writing too much? It definitely changes like what I do and where I do it. So actually the other day you and I were chatting on the phone and I was, I called you instead of texting you because I was sitting on a horse and I was riding through, <laughs> this is going to sound super janky. I was riding through the gravel mine that's on our farm property. We're leasing a section. Um, I highly doubt the gravel miners listen to this podcast, but if you mm-hmm. did, I was not riding in the gravel mine uh, because I don't think I'm supposed to be in there, but after hours, I figure nobody cares. So it's not like there's a giant pit in the ground that I'm going to fall into. They're just sort of like digging away what used to be a big hillside, but in its place, they have this like very gentle slope and it's a really good footing when it's wet. So it's just like riding like on a public trail system, you know, that might be like a grit or gravel track. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually a really nice surface for me to do some hill workouts. So I uh, I had our Irish draft out who needs a little conditioning for his top line. And we were just cruising up and down the hill and calling joy and having a lovely afternoon. So uh, oh, I don't do a lot great. of that in the summer because <laughs> then I'm out riding in the pastures, but I don't want to tear my grass up in the winter. So it's uh, the gravel miner bust. Hey, it works. It works. It's a good creative solution. And also for anyone listening and wondering if you should ride in a gravel mine, maybe, maybe just double check everything. Like we didn't give you permission. Just double check. Yeah. No, you didn't hear it from me. No. So, and no one's gonna, you know, <laughs> blow me into the gravel miners. I do see them fairly frequently and they're like, yeah. Hey, yeah, whatever. It's all right. So <laughs> <laughs> ah. Well, I can't say I have anything that exciting on my end. It's been mostly just cold here. We've had a lot of cold winds. Um, and most horses tend to get quite fresh when there's a temperature change like that. My horse has decided she wants to cuddle as it gets oh, cold. Nice. It's been really lovely. I feel like I'm having my own saddle club moment at 30, and it's really nice. So oh, embrace that. Absolutely. Yes. yes. So I don't know if anyone saw my recent uh snap or snapchat oh my gosh i don't snapchat anyone um instagram stories i have a whole herd of mares they're not all mine they think they're mine and i my new nickname is mother of dragons at my barn oh i love it yes because when i get out there all of the mares there's about seven of them crowd me and they all want to come inside with me i only handle two of them I don't know where the rest of them have gotten this concept, but uh, that's that's becoming my new problem is managing the mares and making sure, I guess it's because I bring them salt blocks. So they're waiting for me to bring them more things, but and that's so funny that that's like a high value enough yes. thing that they're like, ah, oh, like the bringer of salt, t- she's here, you know? <laughs> There's like a handful of them have their own orders who own them. And then the others are less than horses. And I'm just like, you are cared for why the attachment but it's fine it's entertaining it makes content but it also means that they chase my horse away because they don't want her to come in with me so i had to protect her from battle and she rewards me with cuddles that is like the worst part of there's so many advantages to keeping your horse out on turnout Mm -hmm. but the worst part is bringing in one at a time the geldings are always awful the mares have always been really solid until we decided that they belong to me and follow me everywhere. So. <laughs> well, that's on brand. You know, if I could see that's you every day, brand. I would also kick other people who were trying to take you away from me. So, oh, well, thanks, Kristen. I appreciate it. <laughs> but enough that's about a real friendship. That's, that's a, a real, real friendship. friendship. That's I would kick friendship. someone else in the shins yep. for talking to you. 
<laughs> oh, that'll be a part of our merch coming 2023. Yeah, that's you heard a quote. it first here. Quote for the quote wall. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, enough about our lives because we can go on and on about all the things we have planned coming up for the winter in 2023. But we have a very good panel planned, Kristen. I'm super excited to talk about the limited horse because we actually both adopted limited horses. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what they are and how they're actually a great adoptable choice for someone. So I'm super stoked for that. I'm going to get my burning question answered, which is how do you get over that fear that you're going to break it? So yes, can't wait for that one. It took me a very long time to figure that on my own. So I hope we can help some of the listeners here who may be going through that or interested in a limited horse at this time. It's a very, very cool subject to talk about, especially right before the holidays. Many of you might be considering using your Christmas money to get a horse. It's perfect timing. And that being said, before we jump into everything, we're going to hear from our premier sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues. It also supports improved starch and sugar digestion in the small intestine, reducing the opportunity for imbalances to occur in the hindgut. Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products, contains Saccharomyces boulardii, along with a blend of fermentation solubles and stomach buffers. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of any age that are suffering from diarrhea. It also supports a healthy digestive tract in horses at risk for gastric or colonic ulcers, such as performance horses or any horse that is constantly on the go and exposed to stressful situations. For best results, Nalox Advanced should be fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Joy, we've done it again. We have an incredible panel lined up for our episode today. I'm super excited to introduce everybody. We have with us four guests uh, representing both New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program and After the Races. So we're going to introduce everybody first, um, and then we'll say hello, and then we'll get started. So today we're going to be talking about the limited horse um, and everything you can do with them and why they just might be the horse for you. So with us today, we have, of course, a friend of the podcast that everyone's familiar with, Leandra Cooper from New Vocations. Um, she is joined by Dr. Sarah Escaro from Haggard Equine Medical Institute, which is based in Lexington, Kentucky. And then, of course, from After the Races, uh, which is based in Elkton, Maryland, we have the founder and director, Bonnie McRae. Uh, and she is joined by Dr. Morgan Adams from Unionville Equine. So two different nonprofit organizations with us today that specialize um, in rehabbing and adopting out the limited horse. So we're excited to have everybody with us. Everybody say hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Hello. All right. So I'm going to get us started with our first question and we'll sort of round table this one a little bit. How do you all define a limited horse? We'll start with Leandra. 
Well, I guess that could come in lots of different flavors and varieties. So uh, it's just a very vague term. I would say a limited horse is one who is generally, generally we're talking about physical limitations, though that of course can vary. But I would say as a very generalized term, we're talking about a horse who may be restricted to flat work only, maybe even more limited than that. I'm sure we'll go over it, but there's quite a range that you can cover in that. But limited being one with generally, we're talking about not as much physical capability. And that's a good answer, right? Because like we all understand generally when people are like, this horse has no limitations, but it's a little more of a gray area to define what it means a horse that has limitations so and like is that even ever fair to say a horse who has no limitations like let's be real so it's such a vague term and i'm we'll we'll go into it but uh hard to say where to start with that that so that would just be my my way to kick kick kickstart it yeah right we picked a doozy of a question to start with but here we go anyway (laughs) so dr sarah do you have anything to add to that how would you define a limited horse yeah, I, I would kind of mirror, I guess, Leandra's comments on that. Um, I think kind of the only thing that really stands out to people is obviously the the physical attributes of the horse that might potentially be limited from their previous career. Um, but I guess just to kind of throw some more gray areas in there, it could be, you know, a mental limitation that's more of a short-term thing where you just have that kind of letdown from the track, or it could be a more long-term limitation. And again, it kind of ranges across various, uh, I guess, aspects of the horse. But yeah, I would say the, the majority of the questions that clients kind of pose at me or these rehabilitation facilities and rehoming facilities kind of pose is definitely more of the, the limitations in their physical capabilities. Yeah, and that's a good point. So I think like tonight's discussion, we're going to gear that towards mostly physical limitations. But yes, certainly, you know, mental and emotional limitations are a whole other issue we could talk at length about too. So yeah, good point. Pandora's box has been opened. Um. Right. All right. Bonnie, what are your thoughts? What's a limited horse? I think if you want to start at kind of the highest end of the spectrum, you could say a limited horse is one that has injuries or conditions that preclude them from participating in the most demanding activities uh, under saddle, such as racing or upper level eventing. And I feel like you can kind of take that and then go down from there. Um, And that's saying that we, of course, all know that there's plenty of horses that that do those things with existing injuries or issues. But I, I would say that would be like the highest point that you would start limiting a horse if I had to pick a place. And then it can obviously range from there. That's kind of helpful to have like a like a definition, <laughs> like yeah. like with a like a step by step to follow. So nice. And Dr. Morgan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of easy going last. I think you guys have pretty much <laughs> well. We'll switch it up next time. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I really I agree with all of that. Is you know, defining if they have a physical or a mental limitation, and then it's kind of just um, identifying where you think they'd be most suitable. And a lot of times, it's like. There might not be actually any limitations if you look at trail riding for this horse. And so it's kind of just like a, you know, a variation of how you look at the situation. But um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think everyone's pretty much defined it quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're all sort of starting from a point of being on the same page. So now one thing that came up in someone's response, maybe Leandris, I think, uh, you know, it was like a, a flat only career. So at what height do you consider you know, like flat versus jumping, because I know some people are like, oh, a two foot fence doesn't really count as jumping, you know, and other people are like the horse isn't truly jumping until two, six or even higher. Um, So for Bonnie and Leandra, you know, you guys who are adopting horses out, do you 
how strict is that flat only versus, you know, limited jumping? I'd be um, happy to start with this one. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are definitely the horses that we would consider flat only, like really shouldn't be taking their legs high off the ground. Um, but I think a lot of them, we say things like they could jump a log to get from point A to point B on a trail, mm-hmm. you know, occasional things like that, that are reasonable, I think are, is kind of where I would consider a non-jumping horse. Leandra, what do you think? I definitely agree. So I guess really the the way that we're defining them is all within the terms of what home they will be successful in, what career path they'll be successful in. So even a horse that we might deem as adoptable might be able to step over an obstacle or hop over an obstacle or even hop over something at liberty and not really show us any circumstance that would be questionable or or that it could put them in jeopardy. Um, but there's so many different considerations of it. So like I have a horse right now who's a war horse who has oscillates that look terrible on x-rays. He moves really well. He's navigated that really well. In a free lunge video, just offered to hop over obstacles. We have this beautiful footing and we didn't have a rider on him. And he just is an extreme athlete and just decided that's what he wanted to do. So it looks really good. But am am I about to say, you know, go ahead, stick him in a career path where he will be navigating obstacles under a more, you know, routine controlled um, consistency. No, I don't think that would set him up for success. So it's, it's all really within the parameters of the way that we plan on utilizing them and some assumptions that we're making, I guess, in terms of the way that the horse is going to likely be used in order to get to said goal or, um, physical level. So if I say, Okay, especially like the the way that we've determined these levels on uh, with new vocations, we have created a metric system to simplify it because there's so many different variables, of course. So if we say a horse might do well in a career with two foot jumping, you know, a horse who's even more limited, maybe they could step over a two foot fence once in a blue moon and would never demonstrate any issue from that. But that's not really what our assumption is, right? If we're we're saying this horse could theoretically do well in a career where they're going into a show hunter ring and doing two foot fences, like that's a very different ask. So it is really important to to kind of look at the framework within which we are creating these assumptions and saying what this horse is or isn't going to be able to do because I totally agree with the statement that like I mean even for this horse in question who is almost 17 hands going over I mean he could step over to six fence and I mean he has stepped over logs probably that big and never jumped in didn't really do anything wild is not really like putting his body at jeopardy um but we're really talking about that concussive force we're talking about like the implied torques and forces that are part of a career path involved in the you know, what, whatever goal or, or height or level that we're saying this horse will or will not be successful in. So it's not like the one jump per se. It's not like that height per se. Right. Um, so it is tricky because like we're saying, oh, it's a two foot horse. But again, like this horse at Liberty, who doesn't have a rider on, who has the nice footing, like he's not, he, he wasn't sore the next day. He wasn't sore two seconds later. He didn't care about it at all. He could probably do that 
once a week and we would never see him take a lame step. But again, you add 150 pounds to him, you ask him to do that more routinely, you ask him to do that 10 fences in a row. Now we're talking about a much different demand. Mm -hmm. So it is really important to kind of understand what we're talking about in that. That's extremely helpful. It sounds like more when we, when you're deeming limited horse, it's more for the long-term career of that horse and to give them the highest longevity of that second career possible. And my next question would be, and we can start with you, Leandra, of what I'm sure that you and Bonnie both have an idea of where you think a horse can be by your own training expertise and working with different horses of different levels. How does your relationship with the vet come in play? Do they solidify that for you? Like how does new vocations take your first examination as a trainer and now have a veterinary professional help you with it? I'd say it goes hand in hand. And one of the most important relationships that we have as trainers is that with the vet, because we can see the day-to-day with a horse. We can see patterns from having the experience with horses with similar injuries or kind of understanding how the horse has progressed. So we can take those observations and what we know as a trainer and work with the vet to come up with a more comprehensive look at what that long-term is going to look like. Because then the vet is bringing to the table all the professional aspects of the ramifications of that injury and um, what that's going to mean in terms of those projections that we're coming up with. So really, in an ideal world, that is hand-in-hand so that we can create this forecast as best we can with the knowledge we have for the horse, because really nobody's got a crystal ball in this. So (laughs) the more you can work together to figure out what's going to be the right situation for the horse, the absolute better. So Dr. Scaro plays an extremely critical role in those projections for us. And, and even I'm sure that you would say the same, please feel free to chime in if I'm totally off case, but you know, we have horses who in the preliminary evaluations were thinking a certain ceiling for performance level and that horse might exceed our expectations. But as a general rule, I'd say that we are pretty conservative in our estimates because, because we do not control all the different variables. There's components of luck. Um, there are massive components of what happens after the horse leaves our barn, whether somebody's going to continue the same routine. Um, you know, we could send out a guideline and maybe it doesn't get followed strictly. So really we're, we're trying to create this forecast. And so that that's one of the most important relationships that I would say uh, is that with our vet, we're, we're, we're really hopefully coming up at, uh, as a team with that prediction. I love that. And I'll hand it off to Dr. Ascaro next of, you know, I'd love to know a little bit more on the vet side, what you're looking for. And then we'll bring it back to after the races after you, Dr. Ascaro, but what are you looking for to say, you know, whether this horse is looking at a limited career, whether it's strictly flat, strictly pasture, strictly, you know, we can do some jumps, but maybe three feet's where we're at. What are some of those things that are key indicators for you that this horse does not have a fully unlimited career? 
Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think Leandra did a great job of saying it. It definitely kind of takes a village because they do get to see the horses, you know, on a on a daily basis and see how they're progressing through their protocol, whether it's rehabilitation um, of an injury or if it's just potentially retraining and the problems that come with some of that before they adopt them out. Um, but definitely kind of to, to piggyback off of that in regards to what I look at when I'm looking to, I guess, manage the expectations of these horses. Cause I, I hate using the term limited sometimes because I do feel like everybody's like, Oh, it's like, you know, it's a very, very hard limit with these horses. But the things that, that I take into consideration, the more, the most is obviously going to be the history of the horse. Um, you know, I think new vocations does a pretty, pretty uh, bang up job in regards to finding out, you know, especially if they have had previous injuries, where they're at, when they happened, how they healed, you know, is it something that we're still dealing with? Um, you know, at that point, I kind of come in and do my physical exam and my lameness evaluation and some more advanced diagnostics and kind of seeing how things are healing versus if we find something new, I would say the majority of what we kind of are looking for and at and considering are going to be more of the orthopedic um, kind of issues that we might see from a younger horse that trained very hard and put a lot of stress on their bodies. But again, uh, I think giving that initial diagnosis and that initial prognosis, it does tend to be dynamic in a sense, like Leandra said. And, you know, some horses exceed our expectations. Some horses might, you know, kind of not meet those expectations um, that we have for them while they're in the program. But I think the most important part is taking into consideration kind of what what sort of issue are we dealing with? Again, most of the time it is orthopedic. So is it, you know, more of a, a bony related issue? Is it a soft tissue related issue? Um, you know, what's the size? What's the quality of the repair of the injury? What can we do to maintain? Um, because again, a lot of these horses, although we might put a limitation on them, um, you know, they do with maintenance end up having these long lasting successful athletic careers doing something else. And it's just more so about educating their, their new owners and kind of, again, managing their expectations and trying to control the variables as much as we can. But I think the biggest thing is I'm, I'm very much so a science minded person, very nerdy. Um, so the biggest thing is kind of getting my, my accurate history and then kind of taking into consideration what our intake exam looks like and, and going from there as, as things progress and things heal and, we try to come up with the the kind of best level that we think it'll excel at, you know, kind of at a hundred percent, I guess, instead of being like, well, it could do this, but you know, we don't know if it's going to hold up. I think, you know, the more conservative we can be, the better just because I think, again, that kind of helps manage everybody's expectations in the, in the long run. So. Excellent. I, I love that. I love that you guys are conservative at new vocations and I'm going to pass it to Bonnie next to see a little bit more about how after the races handles that as well. So what's a little bit about your, your culture and practices as far as working with your vets to determine what makes those horses considered limited and how do you just establish the parameters? You know, I think I agree with most of what uh, the new vocations team said. We are also very conservative with how we market our horses as far as their physical abilities or limitations. And we start our horses when they come into our program, obviously with as much of a history as we can establish uh, from their racing career. And then the first thing we do is have an intake uh, exam with Dr. Adams, uh, where we do what I consider is like a pretty thorough uh, soundness exam. Um, it might not replace a full pre-purchase exam, but you know, we, we don't, I feel like we don't miss too much. And then we we're pretty proactive with our diagnostics uh, to get a full picture. You know, I, I'd rather find out what the horse has up front rather than give it too much time to wait and see. But having that relationship with a vet, a, a good relationship, working relationship with your vet, I think is one of the most important 
relationships you can have as far as, you know, getting the best picture of these horses and what they can do and what they'll be best suited for. And, you know, so like, I think we take a very similar approach to new vocations. And then as we start riding and training that horse, you know, we might circle back with our vet again and say, hey, like we're doing this and the horse is reacting this way. Uh, You know, do we need to reconsider anything? Um, And so it's kind of a hand in hand, but I would say that the vet our relationship with our vet is is the most one, most important relationship that we have uh, to help these horses. Love that. And Dr. Adams, can you tell us a little bit about what that exam looks like? Be yeah, great to hear sure. kind of what it initially, like if you walked us through the quick snapshot of it. Yeah. So we always start with the history. Bonnie kind of gives me where the horse came from, if it has any known injuries. You know, she does a great job of getting me a very thorough history. Like, how long the horse has had off? Has it had any downtime? You know, did it have any previous injuries that it went back to racing on? That sort of thing. And so it's, that's very helpful for me. Um, and then we kind of just start right at the nose and go to the tail. Um, we, you know, just do a general physical exam. We look at eyes and mouths. We listen to hearts and lungs, you know, kind of just going over through the systems. Uh, and then we just kind of palpate their limbs and see what we have for range of motion or pain on palpation, pain on sort of passive flexion. And we do that for all their limbs. And then um, we kind of watch them walk and then drag down, down the aisle. Sometimes we'll go outside and go into the round pen if we need to. Um, sometimes we'll do neuro exams if that's called for um, those sort of things. And then just getting a general idea of the horse's temperament as well and kind of what it can handle as far as like, you know, rehabilitation um, as well, like kind of do hand walking. Is that even in its, you know, brain capacity at this point, kind of get small paddock turnout, that sort of thing. Um, so that's a really helpful part of our initial evaluation. So, and like Bonnie said, you know, we're always kind of circling back and looking at the horses as they progress through their rehab and kind of do more or, you know, as things come up, horses, you know, horses are forever changing and humbling us. So it's a definitely a continual process. So what I've learned so far, other than lots of things, is that I wish <laughs> I lived closer to either or both of these vets because yes. <laughs> I'm in a little bit of like a, what we call a horsey frontier here in Western New York, where my <laughs> closest lameness vet is about two and a half hours away. So like, it's a little bit of a production to get a horse there. So I don't, I have a horse that as far as I know, you know, I'm one of those naughty people who took in a free horse without doing a PPE and then have another horse that somebody else did the transition off the track. And she had placed some limitations on the horse, you know, based on his physical condition when she got him. So he would also probably benefit from like a post-purchase exam to know exactly what his limitations are. Um, But my tendency, because I'm a giant worry wart with both of those horses is I'm constantly in this mindset of like, I'm going to break my horse. Mm, um, and some of them, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we're just like, you know, kind of hover horse moms, which I guess is a, a good place to be rather than, you know, going out and galloping up and down the pavement or something. But, you know, I don't have a, a nicely groomed arena. We're out on a, a cattle ranch basically. So we don't have great footing. You know, my horses are turned out all the time. So they're constantly, you know, potentially tripping and falling over things and, you know, running into each other and just being horses. So it's very easy for me to get into that, like, overly bubble wrap mindset. So and I would imagine if I had a horse that I knew was limited to a flat only career, 
I would be even more so in that mindset. <laughs> so how do you guys kind of help coach people through that are similar, you know, to be like, yes, the horse may be quote unquote limited, but you're not probably going to break it. And we'll start with team after the races. Bonnie, how do you help people through? So I think to me, the the biggest thing that can help is honestly just education, you know, coming to understanding, you know, the ins and outs of the horse's injuries or issues that uh, you're knowingly taking on. Uh, the more educated you are on a subject, usually the less scary I think it is. Um, and having that really good vet in your corner that hopefully is helping you through the process of considering this horse and taking this horse in, um, they should all be able to give you some level of confidence in your abilities mm-hmm. and skills to to take care of this horse properly. The other thing I would mention is it's just important, I think, to trust the experts, you know, trust the experts around you, whether that's your veterinarian, your trainer, your, you know, the adoptive organization you're coming through to some degree, you know, we're all trying to set this horse up to thrive in its next home. You know, we're not going to place it with you if we don't think it's going to be set up for success. So I think some of that is just kind of having that mindset of, you know, trusting the the information that you have, you know, doing more research if you need to. And, you know, try not to stress about it too much. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's easy for us. I think it's kind of almost like gets into like a mental health question of, you know, how much anxiety you have. Yeah, you that's know? probably accurate. <laughs> so like some of that might be a little more on the human side that you need to work on. Um, but I, I think as long as your goals are reasonable and the experts agree that the horse can do the job that you have for it, you know, just just try to try to take a breath. And, you know, if the horse needs a little maintenance or a little extra TLC to kind of baby it along or make you feel better, you know, I think that's okay. So Dr. Adams, um, sort of a follow-up question, are you able to kind of help provide, you know, adopters and probably as well as, you know, your own clients and patients with, you know, maybe like some not quite warning signs, but like, okay, if the horse may be retired with like a sesamoid injury, like, okay, here's what you'd want to watch out for preemptively. Like how much of like a prep package can you give people, you know, sort of tailored to the horse? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, some of it depends on where they are in their rehabilitation process as well. Um, You know, a year out from a small sesamoid fracture is going to be different than a horse that's, you know, four months into it. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely, you know, depending on where the horses get adopted at in that process, we can help them kind of identify a proper rehabilitation plan and points when they can then check in with their primary vet at home and kind of, you know, pass the baton to someone who's more local. I think, you know, just being vigilant about looking at your horse is not necessarily, I would tell people like, you don't have to know what the problem is. You just have to know that it's different from what it was the day before. So it's like, you know, if you palpate a leg all the time and usually it feels cold and, and tight and the next day it's warm and squishy. Well, you don't have to know what that problem is. You just have to know that that's very different and that's now you should yeah. call your vet. You know what I mean? And so again, it's like having that relationship with a vet that knows what your horse's, you know, initial injury is and where you are in the timeline. That's, that's just really helpful. So yeah, Bonnie does a great job too, just like, you know, getting adopters information and history and, you know, trying to provide them with that like care package when they leave as well with as much information. And, you know, we're always here and we, you know, we talk to adopters a lot and we encourage pre-purchase exams because again, it's all about, 
you know, expectations and setting that horse up for success in that way. So, and, you know, I think horses probably do more partying in their paddocks than they ever do when people are riding them. So people are always like afraid that they're going to break their horse while they're riding them. It's like, you know, I'm always like, they party pretty hard in their paddocks. And (laughs) I think that it's pretty, you know, it's pretty okay for you guys to go out on the trails with him. So, but I totally understand because I'm the anxious person too about my animals. Oh, good. Good. You found your people here. (laughs) I actually didn't think I was that anxious of a horse owner until I just adopted a two and a half year old. Um, So Morgan has finally seen that side of me, I think recently. (laughs) Yeah. I would imagine you kind of like see it all eventually, you know, in your position, but yeah, maybe not with a two and a half year old. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny how it's different when it's your own horse, you know? Right. (laughs) So Leandra at New Vocations, do you get a lot of adopters like maybe like me and Joy that would be, you know, paranoid that we're going to break down a quote unquote limited horse? Yeah, I certainly think that you are not alone in that. And I would say it's pretty routine that I would get phone calls after adoption where people are just asking me about little changes where I, I mean, there are so many times where I'm just like, but why would you call me instead of your vet? Like I can't see the horse (laughs) and it will be simple things or just like horse things, you know, like a cellulitis thing that comes up like four months down the road. And I'm like, I have not seen this horse for months. How would I know? (laughs) Um, But that's, I would say that's totally normal. And um, my personal horse is one that I adopted as a rehab and had, um, I think he had come in and they suspected that he had injured his superficial digital flexor tendon. And he had a lesion in both the superficial and his suspensory. And so I spent a good amount of time getting to know him from rehab. And to this day, I promise you, there is not a single harder horse that I've had to rehab because he was one who was really explosive on the walk to the round pen, not to mention the controlled rehab exercises (laughs) under saddle. And it was like a mess. And, And now I don't worry about him so much. Um, because I've gotten to know him so well, and I uh, think that Dr. Adams is said exactly what I would have said, um, or would have added to that, which is just in getting to know your horse so that you can recognize when there are changes. And in that way, you may be able to identify if there is a problem in any way, not, not exclusive to any previous injury, but I think that I harp on overall fitness and health more than anything because we will adopt horses with no known injuries, which is not even to say that something couldn't happen to them like any horse or that there couldn't be something that could show up on a radiograph that could never show clinical signs or, you know, any combination of those things. And I think people carry this mindset that like a horse who doesn't have those known limitations is somehow immune to the you know, in, injuries or yeah, <laughs> no. and I'm like, Oh, I mean, couldn't be further from it. And I, I had discussions with people um, in the racing industry as well, where it's this kind of like, okay, well, if you have a horse who didn't race and wasn't competitive like that and, and, and you know, didn't race for that reason, that doesn't make them 
like immune to damage because they haven't had it or, um, you know, a horse who could have an oslet and some sort of like jewelry in that sense could have like worked through these extraordinary difficulties of that career path and could just be kind of like, I know exactly how to move my body in a way that I can endure tremendous strain and I never get injured. Like there's any sort of combination of things, right. Um, where, we create these mindsets around when a horse is okay and when they're not. But again, I go back to this, like I always harp on health and fitness because even a horse who like say a horse has had just a bowed tendon, right? They've bowed their superficial, like relatively easy. We like pray for injuries like that. So we're like, Oh, simple rehab can set can be like pretty much unlimited. Like there are a lot of different, obviously outcomes, but like pretty simple. And you could have a horse who rehabbed really well from that and could go on and be pretty unlimited and um, have an adopter, like be in a good program and then have an adopter who keeps them relatively fit or if they have downtime, then brings them back slowly and considers just like any other animal. I mean, for, God, for goodness sakes, like this is how I consider for myself too. Like um, I just recently ran a 5k having gone to the gym for like two days that week before and my knee hurts. I'm like, of course my knee hurts because like, what am I doing? Um, and the only reason I survived that 5k is because it was 18 degrees and my body was numb. So it's like, you know, if, if you don't prepare any horse for the task that you're asking them to do, you're setting them up for failure, no matter what, I don't care what injury it has or hasn't had, like you're setting them up for failure. They're going to have some injury or, you know, there's some freak accident in the pasture and it, like, they're all, none of them are like immortal. They can do this. But if you want to set them up for success in the best way possible, then you also need to mind them as an athlete in order to treat them like an athlete. So you can't just take a horse out of a field and expect it to then be able to consistently endure a high intensity athletic requirement. So you want to set them up for success. You make sure that they are fit and healthy for the job you are asking them to do. But when you have a horse who has had an injury and may have like they did bow tendon and those fibers will never go back to their original elasticity. We know this, but they could go back to a pretty darn good job of like doing the job that you want them to do. But in order to do that, you need to make sure that the rest of the body is strong and able to be able to do its job and do its function appropriately so that you're not compensating or putting undue stress on joints or ligaments, like any, any combination of those things that are going to be setting them up for failure. So, so much of it depends on what you do with it. And the way that they are prepared for the job being asked, I'm like a broken record right now, but I like literally, I told you I harped on this. This is what I say all the time where I'm like, yes, they've had this injury and here's how it looks now. These are the facts of it, but how it does in the future, all these variables that we don't have the crystal ball for depends so much on you that like, that's why we have to be conservative because we can't expect the above and beyond always. And there are always these unknown factors, but there is so much you can do as an adopter or anybody who takes on a horse who has had a previous injury that will determine those controllable factors of how they do in the future and what they can do and what their future looks like for them. Right. Okay. I don't even know what that you originally us- asked me at this no. point, but I hope that answered it. <laughs> 
Well, it's fine. It just added 400 more questions to me to be like, am I doing it? Okay. Am I doing it right? So you're doing so great. great. Yeah. Thanks, Leander. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Um, so I think we would like to hear from Dr. Escaro. If you have any other advice for people like myself, who is now more concerned than ever that I'm going to break. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's fine. No pressure. It's fine. You don't have to convince me. This is what no, Dr. Escaro lives in all the time is having to deal with my <laughs> I'm like the biggest worrywart about my own horse. And so I have to have plenty of my colleagues talk me off the ledge in regards to not being worried about breaking him. But again, we, we get these horses and they, again, they, they have their jobs on the racetrack. It's definitely a, they are companion animals, but they are definitely an athlete that is maintained. And it's a very professional, you know, relationship that they have with their trainers and their jockeys and then you you bring them into these secondary careers and and you do have all the emotions behind it and the attachment and you know he's like my kid so god forbid i know he's got a non-displaced chip somewhere and i'm like the last thing i want to do while i'm running cross country is think oh i just messed his knee up and now he can't do what he loves you know so i'm i'm right there with you guys in regards to being a bit of a worry word about about your horse but just to kind of again kind of mirror what everybody has said so far both Leandra, as well as as after the race tra- or after the races team, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is to to educate your adopter or your client, um, because again, just because they have one injury doesn't mean that it's going to potentially re-injure that spot, depending on what it is. That also doesn't mean that they can't potentially get new injuries. Horses love to hurt themselves; they love to keep us on our toes, right? Um, so again, knowing that it's there is great. Um, knowing what their normal is, um, whatever the level is you know, behavior wise, temperature wise, is that joint always a little puffy or does it look a little bit puffier today? Or, you know, it has an old splint, but is it hot now? Or, you know, she usually loves it when I put the girth on and doesn't ever get, you know, kind of ticked off at me. And now she's kicking out, she's biting, she's grinding her teeth, she's doing whatever, like knowing what normal is, is going to make such a big difference in knowing what that abnormal is. The good thing about being a worry wart is we're always way over the top in regards to kind of noticing even the littlest of things. You know, the other thing kind of to mirror what Dr. Adams said, as well as everybody else, um, and then kind of go off of the fact that we're very lucky in the areas that we're in right now, you know, Kentucky and uh, whatnot, that there's vets everywhere, right? So it's very easy to to get a hold of a vet and, you know, pick your poison, you like reach blindly into a barrel and you get something, you know, but having an established relationship with your vet, when you do decide to, to adopt this horse and, you know, them kind of knowing what their normal is and them being aware of their history so that they're there and ready to advise you. Obviously I, I can kind of speak for the new vocations team as well. I know Leander takes a lot of phone calls from adopters, um, you know, after they've got the horse there. I've also talked to several adopters about things. And, um, you know, I think we're all kind of happy to help create this picture for people so that they can be as educated as possible, so they can manage and maintain these athletes as much as possible and as best as, as possible to kind of get them to do what they, they would like for them to do. And, and again, kind of manage expectations, but it is very hard, I guess, because once they do leave our nest, you know, like Leander said, we don't have a crystal ball, anything could happen. So again, kind of understanding what maintaining a potentially quote unquote, I guess, meteor horse would be, you know, if it's me, I throw everything at it and hope something sticks. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter how much money I spent because he's got all these things. So he's going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Um, But being (laughs) able to supply them with the appropriate, you know, farrier kind of management and maintenance, putting them on the correct joint supplements, having that relationship with your vet, if they do need, you know, joint injections down the road, or they need, you know, chiropractic work or acupuncture work, anything like that. And then also kind of 
managing, again, your expectations of what that horse is going to do. Just like Leander said, you're not going to run a 5k and feel great after if you're not, you know, that's not what you do normally. So, you know, expecting these horses to just potentially come out of the pasture and do something amazing. Like even if they're not limited, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be sore the next day or they're not going to potentially tweak or twinge something. So again, I think kind of educating yourself, thinking, you know, kind of as smart as possible, setting yourself up with a good village around you to kind of help you decipher what is and is not normal. Um, I think that's the best way to do it when you're a worry wart. And I would say that most, most everybody, at least on this panel, as well as anybody that's listening will agree, like they're always going to be a worry wart, but, you know, at least trying to to educate yourself and, and surround yourself with a good team, that makes a huge difference. So. Yeah, absolutely. Super solid advice. So I think we have time for one more question. We'll go around and this will be hopefully one to end on a hopeful note. Um, So I'm going to go in reverse order. So Dr. Scare, I'll send this right back to you. Who do you recommend as the ideal adopter for a quote unquote limited horse? We're going to forever say it like that now, right? Quote unquote limited. (laughs) Right. I, you know, you guys sent, sent some of these questions and I was like, you know, it's really hard to put a, like, what is the perfect adopter? Um, again, you know, what is perfect for one rider with a horse with certain limitations might not be perfect for the other. Um, so again, I think someone that is willing to educate themselves, willing to work hard, love the horse, do everything they can for the horse, obviously with, with um, you know, the help of their supportive team behind them you know, is kind of the ideal adopter. I think that that both programs kind of do a great job in regards to doing background checks on where these horses are going, what those owners' expectations are. You know, if they're interested in a pre-purchase, they definitely promote that. So again, they're as educated as possible about what they're getting themselves into long-term because it is a commitment. I mean, these horses race, you have your war horses, but a lot of horses race, you know, until they're five, six years old, and then you've got 20 more years with them. Um, so again, I think finding the person that is, is ready for that kind of commitment and ready to kind of take on all the responsibilities, whether, you know, it's, it's a limited horse or not, and kind of what's perfect for one person versus the other and what their goals are versus another, um, you know, that that's kind of the best thing is to try to, I guess, get get everybody on the same page. Um, I definitely don't know if there's an ideal adopter or not because, you know, my version of Land Rover is running training at a, a local horse trial versus somebody else's that might be something, you know, going to junior hunter finals with it. And again, every horse can teach you something. So it's just a matter of finding the right one and the right one that fits your goals and expectations. And also on the flip side of that is something that you know that you are willing and capable of maintaining in all senses of the the words in regards to, you know, the financial maintenance, the emotional maintenance, the the time commitment to it, like all these intangibles that we talk about um, when it comes to, to being a horse owner. So again, I don't know if there's necessarily an ideal adopter, but I definitely think, you know, picking that person and, and finding the right match in regards to, to, goals and expectations and commitment, uh, I guess, capabilities are, are definitely the the way to kind of go about finding the best adopter for those horses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's bang on, you know, like the type of person more like now, like sounds very deep, uh, you know, but the, the type of horse owner versus like ideal discipline, because that of course is going to vary case by case and horse by horse. But yeah, I think that's spot on with the kind of horse owner, you know, who could be. Hmm. Uh, embarking on that journey. So great, great answer. Leander, what would you add? I would say from the mental standpoint, exactly what Dr. Escaro is saying, where you want somebody who's going to be able to navigate maybe sort of some of the challenges of it from an educated standpoint. But 
I like to say like somebody who's realistic and that's just like from a good horse sense perspective where if you have a horse that you know has a more limiting injury, then you're going to think in broader terms of just like what the actual, like what the physical opportunities are for the horse. So if you have one, you know, is not going to be able to go cross country and jumping and doing exceptional physical things, then there are so many other qualities that make horses unique or special or capable. So um, finding somebody who, who has the vision and perspective to be able to appreciate those other qualities about the horse would certainly be on my top list of the ideal or the exceptional adopter for a more limited horse um, who has this understanding, but also values all these other things about the horse, but also having somebody who has the resources and the team, if they need to have something looked at, or if there needs to be a recheck, if they're getting like a rehab type horse um, who has that more like attention to the horse, whether that be in like the little details that changes or just like in the general appreciation, like I mentioned. And I think that's kind of what people get hung up on is like, how can we utilize this horse physically? Like what can they do for us when really horses have, so much more value. And that's where I think like the more limited ones, we as adoption agencies and the people who are trying to portray them to the world and all that they have to offer, we're, we're so often, you know, trying to show their versatility and show all these other qualities or develop these qualities so that they can be seen as valuable. And so that ideal person would really be somebody who already has that appreciation for those things, whether that be doing natural horsemanship type things or using them for therapy programs or using them for um, just a, a companion type or a buddy or, I mean, so many different types of things of I mean, just appreciating a trail and being able to hack around so many things where there are all these other opportunities and all these other things that they can do. So it's like stepping away from just the like purely physical, uh, you know, I want to achieve these goals and how can this horse help me get there? That it's like, that's, that's who I would love that a doctor to be is somebody who just would, would appreciate those qualities in the horse. Yeah, that's great. Well, and that's, you know, we're celebrating the versatility of the thoroughbred and not just their athletic ability, I think is pretty key to like, you know, they don't all need to be able to jump the moon. That's just not realistic. <laughs> I'm never going to jump the moon. So, you know. No. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's like, I mean, even my horse who like has done exceptionally well in his rehab and has, um, you know, beautiful ultrasounds now and has gone through all this rehab that it's like with all the other things in my life that happen, there's so many times it's like the peddler's kid, right? That I'm just like, oh, I don't have the time to ride him again. Oh, I don't have this. But he's like my buddy too, where I'm like, I wouldn't give him up for the world. And I just appreciate that so much about him that that alone has value. And that's where I, I always like hope that somebody else, like people can extract that from their relationship with their horses and not just be thinking about like purely what they can do for them physically, but everybody has goals too. So, I mean, I get it, but, but for these guys specifically, that's what I look for. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Dr. Adams, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think we all keep reiterating the same point of just trying to like, you know, identify people's expectations and, you know, like 
new vacations. And Bonnie does a great job, too, of like interviewing these potential adopters and getting an idea of who they are as people and what their expectations are. And then kind of like, you know, trying to match them almost with these horses that would be most suitable for them. Because I think when you have you know, expectations, if they're not met, then that's how kind of things spiral down. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest things is just, you know, trying to find that suitability of what this horse can do and what the, you know, potential adopter is looking for and trying to make those connections possible. It's kind of, you know, it's the best for both worlds. The horse is going to, you know, succeed and the owner is going to you know, be really happy with that horse as well and be able to provide, you know, a great long-term home for them. So, yeah, I think you guys are all on it. So, yeah. So, and it really sounds like everyone so far is looking for, you know, adopters who have a pretty realistic sense of their own, you know, what they're going to be doing, you know, that like realistically, we're not all going to climb the levels of eventing. So we don't need a horse that can climb the levels of eventing, you know, and that's not to slam eventers, because I think what eventers are doing is awesome. (laughs) And physically demanding, but you know, realistically, we just don't all need that horse. And like, and I know that I think the majority Um, of us just need like, the pleasure yes. ride that like they can get us to the baseline goals, but we're here to to share our peppermint candies and get our selfies and get the horse kisses. Like you're looking for that best friend at the end of the day is the majority of us. Yeah. So Bonnie, I think you're our last one to hear from on this question. What do you think is the ideal adopter for a limited horse? Yeah. Um, I think rather than kind of reiterating what everybody else just <laughs> yeah. said, um, Leandra, or Leandra uh, commented on something that I was going to comment on, but in a little more detail, which is just, you know, finding that person that doesn't look at a horse for what it can't do, but rather what it can do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a bit of a personality question too, like, you know, glass half full or half empty kind of person. Right. But um, I think, you know, just having that ability to look at this horse and see all the positives uh, that it has to offer versus the quote unquote limitations that that it might hold it back from doing certain jobs, I think is what you should look for in an adopter, like just somebody with that right mindset that's going to go into it, you know, looking for for that best friend or that that partner that that can do everything that they want to do, you know, rather than focusing on what they can't. So that's all I would add. I love that. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, we need to what, what we didn't do yet. And I don't know that we will tonight come up with a different term. <laughs> That'll be our assignment for 2023 is thinking up the new term for everybody, new marketing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll do a listener poll, you know, after this episode comes out and say, okay, you know, everybody listened in. What do you think we should call them? Um, Cause yeah, the number of times, even just now I said, quote unquote limited, <laughs> that's not smooth. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. They're just differently abled maybe. I'm not so. sure that sounds much better. No, no. That, that really doesn't. No, no, we'll scratch that one off. Yes. The, well, off we'll, the we'll figure out something. We'll find. We'll work something. on something. Yes, <laughs> that's our gift to you guys this year. Is Chris and I will put our heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll come up with one good idea. Well, Leandra, Dr. Scaro, Bonnie, and Dr. Adams, this has been really, really cool. Hopefully, this has given our listeners a little more insight into you know how you define a limited horse, what they can do 
you know, if the limited horse is right for them, I think for most of us, it sounds like they probably are. Uh, so we'll invite our listeners, of course, to check out everyone's full bio in the show notes. Um, certainly take a look at the awesome horses that New Vocations and After the Races have to offer at their websites. Um, and yeah, definitely if you guys uh, adopt a limited horse or any horse from these organizations, let us know because we'd love to follow along with your journey. I'm here with Tony from Cashel. You all know it from the ads you hear all the time on this show. But we're at the trade show, and this is the point of time in the year where we find out what's new coming out. So what's Cashel have new coming out? Oh, we've got a a great lineup of uh, 32, 34 wool top pads. So describe them. Uh, Five different colors, real vibrant, bright, sharp looking pads. What What makes them different? Well, it's the fill, the the. The wool felt on the inside is a natural felt, and the fleece on the bottom is a 100% merino. Oh, really? Okay. So these are soft and squishy pads. Well, not real squishy, but soft, and, and they do absorb shock and, and saddle fit. What would they retail for? What are those? That's you about know? 119 That's the right price. Yeah. Anything else new with Cashel coming out? Oh, we've got uh, more saddle pads coming in the fall, a uh, new strap line coming in the fall. It's uh, a two-tone that looks great with a, a great buckle set on it. There's, we're always in development, so there's so many things, projects in the works. What's still your most popular product? Is it still always the same things year after year? Uh, fly, you've got yeah. Fly, fly that's what we all. That's, what, that's how I knew you in the first place was fly. Fly masks. Yep. Yeah. Many years ago, uh, we were primarily fly masks and kind of had some tush cushions and a few odds and ends. Today, we've broadened that offering to saddlebags, uh, strap, head stalls, breast collars, bell boots, um, leg protection, and the it continues to grow. Is there a place where somebody can go and see all the products? Cashelcompany.com will give you a good offering. There you go. Well, thank you, Tony. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, thank you. Good to see you. Well, Kristen, it's December 10th by the time this episode is out. And that means we are not that far away from Christmas. So a lot of us probably have our Christmas shopping done or you're a late shopper, which is totally fine. Zero judgment on our end. I'm one of those two, but I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to share some of the horsey winter must-haves that really make a difference for us, for our listeners to maybe spark some ideas, whether for their trainers, their best barn friends, or themselves. I think it'd be great. So I, I can happy to start with this, like my favorite hands down thing. And I've talked about it every single year on this show <laughs> is the Aurora heated vest, non-sponsored. Please email them and tell them to sponsor the show because I've given them way too much credit. <laughs> But it, it does get me through the winter every year. I love that vest. It's just rechargeable. I heat it up. It's I think I've had it for five years now. Jamie ended up buying one. And now you might buy one too. One of the best things I've ever gotten as a winter horse girl, for sure. What about you? Is there something that really stands out on your end? Yeah, I've gotten some pretty cool, uh, like horsey holiday gifts before. I think the best, um, and I actually put a picture of this on our social media the other day, was the Arctic Horse Wool Riding Skirt. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that company seems to be out of business now. There's a bunch of like knockoffs you can find on Etsy and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But that thing is really cool. Uh, It's actually, it's the opposite of cool. It's very warm. 
So it's wool and it's lined in fleece and it works like a big quarter sheet that you basically wear. So on really cold days, I'll just wear that for chores and I'll be stomping around in my skirt, <laughs> you know, taking out hay yes, and bringing I have one in too, and, and that, I, so. I, I will second this. That is a Very phenomenal cool. thing to have when you live in the North for sure. Yes. Yeah. And in general, like I think if men realized how practical skirts were for keeping their legs warm, they would also be wearing them too. <laughs> because like it just makes a nice little heat pocket. Guys. Yeah, like, just go for it. No one's gonna judge. No go one's gonna it. judge. No one's gonna judge. Well, I'll do something a little less glamorous because the ones we talked about were they're a little bit on the price you're in. But something that also makes a big difference for me are hand warmers. I go to Costco and get like giant boxes of hand warmers. I ask for them for like stocking stuffers. And it's not even just for me. I actually take a piece of fabric or like a leg wrap and I'll put it around my bit. So while I'm grooming my horse, that is warming up my bit for me because I'm not always near a place that has electricity for like blow dryer or anything to keep my horse's bit warm. So I use them for my horse. I use them for myself. I have at least two giant boxes in my jack locker right now. So those make a great gift. Mm, that's a good cause of bit warmer. I haven't thought of that. I just do the like, you know, <gasps> method in my hands, but yes. my hands are very the old school. <laughs> uh, my recommendation for a stocking stuffer, I have mentioned this before, and this is a hill I will die on on this show at some point. Um, everyone needs a wild rag. I don't care if you ride Western or English or dressage or you drive or you just look at horses. Wild rags are like the West's gift to horse people. So it's a silk scarf, comes in a big square. You can do all sorts of pretty knots with it. They come in a million different patterns and colors. You can coordinate it with everything you're wearing. They're cool in the summer. They're warm in the winter. You can tuck it down in the front of your vest and make it all nice and snuggly and get all matchy matchy. Uh, they look really punchy, but they're super, super practical. So uh, everybody whose name is Joy can expect <laughs> a wild rag stocking stuffer this year from me. So Ooh, exciting. I will make you wear one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I will take a photo and I promise. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll do a little tutorial on how to tie the knot, you know, so you can absolutely. look like a real cowgirl. Definitely some great ideas for sure. And going to wrap the gift up or gift ideas up with just something very simple, also very practical, chapstick and hand cream. So everyone right now, whether you're in the South or the North, you have chap lips, you have rough hands, our skin's getting dry. It's just that time of year. So hand cream, chapstick, great stuffing stockers for any equestrian. And that being said, if you are still doing your holiday shopping, there's some great ways to give back to charities that you love or aftercare associations. Amazon Smile is a great way to do it. Just double checking to see if you want to support new vocations, retired racehorse project after the races, all of them. Anyone that you love personally, it could be a local rescue to you. That's a good way to do it. I believe PayPal also has that option, Kristen. They do. Yep. You can just add a dollar to your purchase or however much you want and add it right there and they'll make the donation for you. Super easy way to do it or even shop from some of those groups who have merch. We know New Vocations does as well as the Retired Resource Project has their own shopping groups that supports the organizations and the mission that they're doing for retired resources. So you can always gift someone something from those shops as well. And if money's kind of tight for you, because we understand that that could be the case, you can always volunteer at one of your local rescues over the holiday season. They'll definitely appreciate anything you can do or items that you can donate. So just a couple ideas to get back this holiday season if you're looking to add a little generosity and help out the horses that we love. Well, Kristen, I absolutely love that panel discussion on limited horses. I feel like I took away a lot of great knowledge and I have a lot less guilt or pressure maybe mm, about the fact same. of trading my limited horse. <laughs> 
but it is that very special time where we feature our adoptable horse of the week. And we are bringing you two horses, which I'm super excited about. We are going to talk with Leandra Cooper and we have Bonnie McRae who are on our panel. And we're going to start with Leandra with our new vocations adoptable horse, Stanfield. Tell us a little bit about this guy. Stanfield. I see. Yeah. Stan has been the love of my farm life from the moment he got off the trailer, because I am a diehard underdog proponent always forever. And he's, while he gets probably knocked off people's hot list all the time because he's got a sway back, this stunning gentleman at 16.3, which I'd like to point out too, if you measure his hind end, it's over 17 hands. <laughs> he is, and he's just the 2019, so he's still growing. Um, is He's gorgeous. He has such an attractive head. He's got such attractive features. If you look in his eyes, which all of us horse people know, you can tell so much about their expression. He's just so kind. I love this horse. He is, um, you know, not a horse that you might ha- like pick out of a match, but he, his sire's gun runner who I absolutely love. He's got really nice breeding. Um, and he, like I said, he's just, he's a big goofy baby. He's kind. He has done a lot of maturing in his time with us. And the main thing that we've worked on is just really been his feet. You can see in his pictures on his profile on our website at horseadoption.com. He looks like he's got flippers on because he had glue on. I like to call them clogs, but they're just glue on easy boots because he needed to grow out better sole depth. Um, and his foot angles weren't great and he caused him some discomfort. And then he's just kind of awkward in his baby stages and his growth stages. So he was like wearing these flippers and he'd kind of trip on himself and he's just goofy. Right. So we've done all this cross training with him and now he confidently walks around like logs in the backfields and can open gates and do all these things that make him so versatile, like way beyond what a lot of the horses who come and get scooped up really quickly, um, get exposed to. And now he's had all this exposure and maturity and now he's just in regular nail on shoes. And we actually just bumped him up to a level four on our physical capabilities scale. So that's um, to say that he's been cleared for up to three foot jumping. So now he's kind of like a cheating um, quote unquote limited horse because <laughs> now he's been cleared for more work, but he still has this um, sway back, obviously, which like I said, he's just three going on four. So it's not like what you'd see in the senior horses where they've just kind of lost their abdominal um, muscles and they're kind of slacking like this is he was born like this. He has no sensitivity to it, but it is something like unlike our conversations about um, injuries that have formed. This is just something that he was born with. It's the way he is. He's rocking it. And um, we're really proud of his development here, but he has been on the website for months without any takers. So he is still looking for a home. And um, I'm just such a fan of him. And you know what? With tack on, you can't really even see his way back so much. I was going to say, Leander, like I I had an Arab, so not a thoroughbred who was born with a way back as well. Also a chestnut. She was by far one of the best riding horses in my barn. So cushy to ride. As long as you have the tack set up, a good saddle fit and a good cushy saddle pad. It's just such a solid horse. I could put kids on her. I could hop on her. I could put any beginner on her. She's one of the best horses I ever had. Yeah. Your saddle's not going to go anywhere. It's not slipping. 
No, we called her the Lazy Boy Sofa. It was great. (laughs) I was going to say, I was just thinking, this looks like a dream bareback horse. Or as my dad would say, that's a a deep sitting couch. You just like have a nice deep sit in it. You're okay. But I mean, honestly, especially since we've been talking about the more limited horses, um, or I was even thinking like, like modified ability, right? So is there like, you know, there's, it's just a different set of skills. But, um, but this is a horse who, I mean, realistically, when he first came in, like if you were going to plop a level on him from the beginning, we'd probably be at like one or two because he was so clumsy. If you were trotting <laughs> him, he would fall. Like he would routinely oh. fall. There was one occasion he literally like went down on a knee and had dirt on his face. He like did a bow um, oh. because he just was trying to like navigate his way around like his different, his foot changes and his flippers, as I like to call them. And he's just come such a long way, but like nobody has invested the time in you know, other than us in our program, but like, he's not the horse that people jump on and adopters are like, Oh, I can tell that he's so kind and so versatile and he does all these things. And he's just been sort of pitted in this more limited category. And now, uh, you know, has this, he's just been bumped up to the levels and hopefully we're going to get more attention on him. But realistically, I mean, this is a horse who's had this potential this whole time. And, um, you know, we're very lucky that now we're able to bump up the levels and bring him to a different category of attention, but he's just developed into such an exceptional horse that I think he's, he's kind of like this showcase diamond in the rough of like horses who's, who have been able to graduate to different levels, but who have had that this whole time. So it just kind of even goes to show what some time and energy and investment in them will do uh, as far as expanding their horizons too. So Stan's still looking for a home. Uh, and you can see his profile at horsedoption.com. If you go to the horses tab, you can see Stanfield here. He is tall, he's big, he takes up tons of leg, and, and he's he really is comfy. only a thousand dollars with. 50% off for December right now. So he's $500, folks. $500 gets you this cuddly horse. So I, Landra, is he hugging you in this photo? No, that's Julie. That's my assistant oh, trainer. I was like, so cute. And I will, I will tell you what, I will, because I had just changed this right before we started the recording. I bumped up his adoption fee since his level is higher now to $2,500. But if anybody is listening to this and is hearing this recording, I will still honor that price. Um, so his adoption fee oh. will still be $500. If you are an approved adopter and interested in adopting Stanfield, please let me know that you've heard this recording and I'd be happy to honor it. But for everybody oh, else, go. he will be Everyone 50% else. off $2,500. So loyal, loyal listeners, so, you get a special right. gift from Leandra this holiday season. This is my gift to you. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you, Leander. Check out Stanfield and all the other horses at horseadoption.com from New Vocations and get your applications approved as quickly as possible. They go so fast there. They really do. Okay. Jumping into Bonnie, we've never featured a horse yet from after the races. So I'm super excited to have you on as a guest to do this. We are talking about Rogallo, who I love his name. It sounds so regal. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about him. Yeah, Rogallo is definitely a volunteer favorite in our barn right now. He is a six-year-old gelding uh, by Curlin, who was actually born in Florida. Um, And this is very official. His height is 16'2 and a smidge. There's just like (laughs) a little extra there that some people really care about. So it's there. 
um, you know, he he only raced about I say only he raced 33 times. We've, we just happen to have horses in our barn that have raced closer to 70 right now. Um, but he, so he had a pretty decent career. And from all reports, he was a really good boy at the track, um, you know, and he did retire with an injury and he actually had surgery to remove a fragment from one of his medial sesamoids. Um, but the rehab went super well. And the surgeon, uh, he actually went to Patty Hogan in New Jersey, who's in my opinion, one of the best surgeons, at least on the East Coast, if not the country. Um, she's just awesome. And I'll she second thought, that. <laughs> yeah, he's, she's she's fantastic. And she thought that he could do well in like any flat home uh, and possibly even do some jumping, just maybe not the highest level that's out there. But in the barn, he is just absolutely a doll. He is very quiet, very sensible. He has these adorable, pointy, expressive ears, which is like the first thing anybody notices about him. Uh, and they are always turned in your direction. Like he is just <laughs> one of those horses. And when we were actually taking photographs of him, this is just a testament to his personality. You know, we were standing him up for photos. And, you know, most people who take a lot of horse photos have like, you know, a noisemaker. They use the all ears app or some variation of winning horses to get them to put their ears up. And this horse was so unimpressed with the fake horse sounds. He was like, no, this isn't interesting at all. So I actually went into my barn and I got a, a training tool that we have. I call it my plastic stick for better, for lack of a better term. Um, but it's basically uh, a mop. But instead of a mop head, it has uh, these sort of tassels made out of caution tape. So oh. you can imagine it can make some fun noises and um, kind of wiggle around and give a horse something good to look at. Uh, he was also very unimpressed with my plastic <laughs> stick. Uh, we we have several <laughs> photos actually of the plastic draped like all over his face and like, but we did get some cute photos because he kind of reached for it with his nose because he was more curious than worried about it. So that's just kind of how his temperament is. Uh, he also has only been with us at the time of this recording for three weeks. So he's a little newer in our program and he came from a place where he was turned out in nice, beautiful, sandy paddocks. Uh, so he was kept barefoot very well there. Uh, and then he unfortunately moved to Maryland where our footing is more typically, you know, dirt <laughs> and mm -hmm. grass. And of course, coming into winter, we had some pretty hard ground. Uh, so he needed a little bit of help just transitioning to, you know, different footing. Uh, but he's now coming out on the other side of that. So he's he should be going to work uh, back to work here any day. He's so cute. Those ears, they are so funny. He's oh a my perky gosh. dude. Yeah. He's very perky. He is I have very perky. Saved on this front shot of him where he's just like, hello. He is so, <laughs> so cute. All those he's photos. A That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I, I might get some haters for this, but like all the curlin babies that we've had in our program for the most part haven't necessarily been the most successful racehorses, but they've <laughs> had like the best temperaments and just been really fun partners for their adopters. Um, and I think he's definitely going to fall into that category. So um, I don't know what else to tell you about him. He's just he's just wonderful. He's a really good guy. He gets a re really gets along really well with other horses and turnout. Um you know, he can go out with geldings, go out with mares. Like he's just, he's just easy. He'll fit into pretty much anybody's barn. Love that. Well, where can people find more about him and how to apply to adopt him? Yeah, they can just visit our website afterthereaces.org. And there's a horses tab to look at our horses. And of course, you know, there's a how to adopt tab with a link to our application. And once you get approved, you know, we'd love to meet you, have you out to see some horses or, you know, just help you match with one even remotely. So, you know, just reach out. Love it. And he is $800 for anyone wondering. So 
Uh, all these gonna, aftercare groups just really nickel and diming <laughs> us here. I know. I will have to give the same kind of caveat that he, his adoption fee is $800 while his feet were adjusting. Um, so as he gets into training, you know, that might go up by the time of this, oh, this so episode. Yeah, act now. This recording. Yes. Yeah. Act but now. I, I will also also honor that that fee for anybody who listens and references this podcast. So there you right. go. Retired oh, Racers go. Radio Incentives. Special. I love it. <laughs> Incentives. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and sharing these lovely horses. We hope they find the perfect homes. And should you adopt either Stanfield or Regalo, please let us know. We'd love to feature them on our social media and hear how they're doing. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a fun. Thank you. You can find our show notes and links to our awesome panel guests on the website at retiredresourceradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, just search for Retired Resource Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can find me on Instagram at The Horseback Writer and on Twitter at Kristen Kovach. My email is kbentley at the rrp.org. You can find me on Instagram at MissFitMare, and my email is joy at Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company, and our partners, New Vocations Adoption Program and the Retired Racehorse Project. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And always add more leg. Bye, guys. Bye.